Well, good morning. Oh, we can do a little bit better. Good morning. I know it's raining out there, and it's just a little bit right now. So uh, I hope that you were able to make it in and be somewhat dry. I'm not, I'm not even going to you know, assume that some of you actually made it in dry. I'm just hoping you made it in less wet than, than others, right? Well, I'm glad that you're here. It's good to come together, and we're continuing on in our study in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We've looked at the Beatitudes. We're going to continue seeing what Jesus has to say in this. In this sermon, which is the greatest sermon, the most well-known sermon ever preached. But before we do that, if, you, if you've turned there, I invite you to just take a place marker and put something in your Bible there to kind of, because we're coming back to there. But I want you to go ahead and take your Bible, also turn to John chapter 17. Because as we look at what we're unpacking today in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, I believe we've got to get a little bit of context that helps us understand what we are called to do. As we've, we've looked at the, the Beatitudes, we've looked at what it means to be a follower, to be a citizen of this kingdom. Again, we don't do these things just to, so that we can come into the kingdom. We do these things because we're already citizens, but... I'm afraid if we're not careful, again, we look at what's going on and what the commands of Jesus are and these descriptive passages that describe a follower of Jesus can kind of give us a mindset that sets us back. And so in John chapter 17, we're going to see something, and I want you to finish this statement. I believe many of you can finish it with me. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. All right, so everybody say that with me. We are to be in the world and not of the world. Now, I want us to see that I believe that that is completely true in this passage. That understanding of the idea that we are in the world, but we're not of the world, is a, is a core doctrine and a core belief that we believe as Christians. It is the heartbeat and the process of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Jesus. But my struggle is, is that if we're not careful, we can approach this backwards. Here's what I mean by that. We normally refer to this understanding when you hear someone talking about being in the world but not of the world, we're normally approaching it with the understanding and the mindset of trying not to do something, right? Trying to not cross the line. Now, now we're in the world, but don't be of the world. Don't go past that point. Don't walk into that. And I believe that our heartbeat is, our desire is right, and we have the right words, but we have the wrong order, it's not a defensive mindset. It's got to be more of an offensive. We talked about that even looking at the kingdom that Jesus is illustrating that we are. This is an already not yet kingdom. It's already started. It's not yet fulfilled, but we are called to be part of the fulfillment, which means we've got to step out and start walking in this calling as citizens, not just kind of cowering back going, well, I'm just not sure. I, don't, I want to be in the world, but I don't want to be of the world. Let's see what Jesus has to say in John chapter 17. 
John chapter 17, what's happening is this is right before Jesus goes to the cross, before he is arrested, put on trial, and crucified. He is praying over his disciples, and this is where we unpack this understanding and this truth. But here's what he says. Look at verse 14. It says, I have given them your word, and the word has hated them because they are not what? Of the world. And so there it is right there. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus is saying and asking and praying to his Father. He says, I've given them your word. I've given them your truth. And the world hates it. The world doesn't like it. Anybody ever experienced that when we're trying to walk this life for Christ and trying to, trying to do what God has called us to do? And the world mindset, anyone of the world, they don't like that, right? It goes against the grain. But what we need to realize is we are not of the world. And they hate it, and I hate it for them that they hate it. But the truth of the matter is that we're still called to not be of the world. We're called to be different. We're called to look different. But catch what he says, because again, we've got to read these passages. We've got to make sure we read the thought process that Jesus says and not just pull what we want and kind of put it in a way that, makes, that helps us out on that. What does he say? He says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of, of the world. But look at verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Wait a minute. We're to, we're, to be, we're to be in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. And we often focus on the idea of not being of the world. And, and, and we can easily, in that approach and in that mindset, we can easily kind of pull ourselves away and recluse back away from the world so much that it really looks like we've been taken out of the world. And that's not what Jesus desires. That's not his heartbeat in this. He says, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. Why? Because they are the only hope. We as believers, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have put your hope and trust in him, you have the only remedy for the brokenness that is in this world. And how can we share that remedy and that, and that hope if we are removing ourselves so much? And we've got to be careful. As we, die, as we see what Christ desires of us, he says, Look, I, don't, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world. There it is again. So again, I affirm that. Please hear. Understand, we are not of this world just as I am not of this world. So what does Jesus say? He says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Why? Verse 18 is the key right here. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You catch that? Do you see what's happening here? The, the process, though, our, our words are right. We're getting it a little backwards if we're not careful when we say, well, I'm, I'm to be in the world but not of the world. Can I just challenge you and say, you're to be not of the world, but you're definitely supposed to be in it. And the approach is complete, it completely changes our mindset. Why? Because when we come to the understanding and who we are first and then go and approach what we're called to do, it gives us strength and courage to go and do it all the more. See, when we sit there and say we're, that we're in the world, we're looking at what we're, where we are. We're looking at where we are and what we're doing. And then we try to go from there and say, well, I, but I'm not of the world. I'm supposed to be of Jesus. Yes, that's true. But that's not the end. That's the beginning. And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us and try to. He says, look, he says, go back, go back to verse 15. He says, keep them from the evil one. He doesn't say keep them from the evil world. He says, keep them from the evil one. 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And Jesus says, let them keep the word, but not to themselves. Let them be sanctified, he says in verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What do we, what do we, if we're not, if we're supposed to be kept from the enemy, from the evil one, we're supposed to be kept for something that is the word, but we're not kept for ourselves in the word. So with that mindset, we've got to we've got to kind of change our mind before we get into the calling and the and the and the sermon, the part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about being salt and light. And what I want us to understand, a couple points as we dive into this passage, I want us to see a couple things. And the first thing is this: is that Jesus says we are not of the world, but we are sent into the world. That's not, even, that's not even a primary point of the sermon. I mean, that's one of those things that's kind of free, a little sermonette for you, free of charge on that. But we really kind of have that, got to have that groundwork laid with the understanding that it's not as much to be, not, to be in the world but not of the world. It's to be not of the world, but you got, we've got to get into the world and show why, because we have hope. We're sent, and we're sent with purpose. Now, this is where we pick up in the Sermon on the Mount. This is where we pick up with this understanding, with this mindset and approach that Jesus says we're not of the world, but we are sent into the world. How do, how do we take that, and what does that look like when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount? Well, the first thing I want us to see, and first thing, a couple things I want us to understand, as we, rem- we remember what we've looked at with the Beatitudes, we need to understand it would be easy to read the Beatitudes. It'd be easy to read those eight sayings It'd be easy for us to read those points and say, and, and to say to ourselves with an understanding of this upside-down kingdom that we're so different, that Christians are called to be so different that really we just need to pull ourselves back. You know, if a, if, a, if a non-believer, if a stranger of the kingdom of God comes into our, comes into our uh, crosses our path and comes into uh, our, our uh, lives, then we have the opportunity. Yeah, we can speak into them. But surely we, we, we don't need to go on to, into this. Surely we don't need to take this stuff and let, and let Jesus do this big work, but, but, but not step out and actually do something about it, right? You know, I, I thought Jesus was telling us to be poor in spirit, to, be, to mourn, uh, to hunger and thirst for him, to do all these things just so that we can be good and just so we can get everything figured out in our own lives. Now you're saying we've got to actually go and step out and do something? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. See, we have to understand, John MacArthur says, the Beatitudes are not meant to be lived in isolation or, or only among fellow believers, but everywhere we go. With that mindset, with that approach, we dive in and pick up where we're at in Scripture. Look at beginning in verse, in verse number 13 of chapter 5 of Matthew. It says, you are the salt of the earth. Everybody say salt. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us to unpack this, just kind of walk through this verse and kind of see some key words and some key emphasis that Jesus, I believe, is putting on the disciples. And remember, he is teaching and talking to his followers. Yes, there is a multitude of people there. There is a great crowd, but it says, he clarifies in the first verses of Matthew 5, where he says, and he sat down and taught the disciples, okay? So this challenge is to believers. So can I just say right now before anything else, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then this does not apply to you. It doesn't get you off the hook because that means you're not a follower of Jesus. And according to Scripture, you are still lost in your sin. And I say that with as much love and out of the greatest love that I could ever share with you because if we approach this scripture, if we approach the word of God as a, as a roadmap to try to figure out how to live a better life or try to figure out what we're called to do in order to earn salvation, then you're going to miss the whole point. The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, this calling is not prescriptive, meaning it's not a prescription of how we're called to live so that we can obtain something or so that we can get better, but it is a description or it is descriptive on what it means to walk as a follower. So look at this passage going back to verse number 13, starting out. Look at this with me. It says you. Everybody stopping right there. Let's just unpack that. Who is the you we're ta- that Jesus is talking about? Well, the thing is, is who, when we ask that question, who is, who is you, then you is me. Everybody say me. That's right. You is me, right? And me is you. When he says you, he's, say, he's talking, if you're a believer, he's saying you. So when you hear that, you need to be saying, wait, okay, he's talking to me. I'm a follower of Jesus. What is this? What is he trying to say to me? What does he speak? What is, what is the command of my Lord and my King to my life right now? And so we need to understand the, the setting here, the calling here that we, are, that we are called to go and to live this life. You, it is emphatic. Also, look at, look at the next word. He says, you are, you are the, the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Of, of the world. And here's the, here's the idea. The idea is this, is that you are not a salt or you are not a light. If you read that, you're actually going to find he's saying you are the only salt. And you are the only light in this world. Why do we come together? Why do we, why do we gather as a church? Why do we come together as believers to hear and to grow and be encouraged? Well, because we are the only hope in this community for all eternity. The hope is not, cannot be put in anything else but the people of God. And that's why Jesus says, you are this light. You are this salt. And we need to walk as it. The takeaway main point, if I could get anything for us to understand, is this. Write this down. Who we are in Christ is meant to influence others in the world. If we were to summarize this passage, if we were to summarize what Jesus is trying to communicate and with the understanding, the proper understanding of John 17, the context there, that it's not that we're in the world, but not of the world, but rather we're not of the world, but we're sent into the world, then we can summarize this with one word, and that is influence. As believers in Christ, as members of the kingdom, citizens of the kingdom, members of the family, we are meant to influence 
others for good. Who we are in Christ is meant to influence others in the world. Now understand the, the, the clarification there again. First off is who are you? We are in Christ. As believers, as followers of Jesus, we have been set free. And he is saying the citizens of the kingdom that he just described in the first several verses, in, the first, in verse 3 through 12, those citizens are the ones that are meant to go and be an influence. And we are these things. It gives us a grace-driven effort. When Jesus says you are, he doesn't say you can be. He doesn't say you, 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 you should be or you, you could be if, as long as you do these things. He says what? You are the salt of the earth. You are light in the world, the light of the world. We See, we need to approach this with the understanding that I don't seek to become these things because God will love me if I do. We don't need to approach this as many of us do with Christianity that says, if I just love Jesus a little bit more, then maybe he'll love me a little bit more. Is that not how we approach Scripture? Maybe I'm the only one on that, but I really have, have struggled. I've battled with those times when I want to read these passages and I say, okay, if I just live a certain way, then maybe there's a little bit more blessing in that. And can I just say there, that I believe that obedience does bring blessing. There is, an, there is a blessing in walking and following after, after the will of God, which is proclaimed in his word, but it does not make God love you any more, and your failure to do so does not make God love you any less. You are the light of the world, and you are the salt of the earth. We need to be reminded that it is already, we already are what we need to be. We already are who we are meant to be. Matt Chandler says this, it says, The church is meant to be the salt and light that shows what the kingdom will be when it arrives in full power. See, our, our display of this is a depiction and, a, and a, sh a showing of what the church will be like, what the kingdom will be like when it comes and it arrives in full power. Not in our perfection, but in our willingness to get up off the ground when we fail and step back into the presence of Jesus because he's enabled us to do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it means when he says you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. I don't know about you, but that changes a little bit for me. That changes my approach of how I come before my God and my King. It's no longer that, God, I hope that I can be this for you today. It's an understanding, God, here I am. And he says, okay, here's who you are. And now go and walk in it. That's where the hope is. And he uses two very well-known objects to communicate to the kingdom citizen what we do with our identity, what we are meant to do. And so what, what are the two things he looks at? Well, first he says that we're called to be salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, it wouldn't take you long if you have a study Bible, if you have a passage of Scripture, that you, if you have anything with little notes at the bottom that give you some commentary on that, or if you were to even simply type in this passage reference and Google it and kind of to try to get a better understanding of what salt is, you're going to come across a couple different things. You're going to come across the fact that salt is that salt is you was used and was very well respected in that time. 
Salt was one of those things, like when we hear salt, we need to make sure that we don't approach it like we do, because which is a little table, you know, the salt shaker on the table, a little, little bit glass piece or plastic piece that's kind of there for convenience, and you can't really pass the salt shaker unless you pass the pepper shaker with it, because then you're just all messing things up, they're separating all that good stuff, right? We, we think it's such a common thing for us, we kind of, it cannot easily lose its meaning in this, but we need to understand that salt at the time when Jesus said salt, these people stopped and listened. Why is that? Well, because salt had so much use in this time, even more so that we don't use because now we have the invention of a refrigerator that helps, you know, preserve our food. But the number one purpose of salt in these days was just that, preservation, to preserve and to help keep things from decaying on that. It was used, it was pounded into meat and it was pounded into food to slow the decay process and it drew out moisture. And it had, it had so many other things. In fact, it was so versatile that it, in its use that it was valued and it was sometimes given as a wage. You ever heard the saying, they ain't worth their salt? That's because in these times, in biblical times, it was paid for. You were paid in salt. And some of you say, that's just, no, I'd rather not. Yeah, you really would if you don't have a refrigerator to keep your food. And you need, you need to make sure you keep that meat good and, 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 and fresh. And they would pay in salt, and the and salt would be pounded. And so it was used as pres, uh, preservation. It was used as a preservative. But here's the, here's the interesting thing that I found even as I studied this. Because look at the passage with me. Look at verse 13. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the feet. Now, I've heard so many people take this and we want to run with this understanding. We want to think, well, maybe are we saying that you can, that you can lose your salvation? We, they've taken it and said, well, see, they're not useful anymore. Here's the thing. I want to just, before anything else, before we dive into that, know this. You are salt. And when Jesus says, how shall it, if, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Like, this was kind of an absurd saying and that probably had people kind of going, wait a minute. How can salt not be salt, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't quite, I don't get that. How can, you're, you're saying that salt loses its saltiness? Does that mean it really doesn't turn into, no, no. Understand this, salt can never lose its saltiness. Salt can never in and of itself, yes, we can dilute it, yes, we can contaminate it, but salt in and of itself is saying that it is salt no matter what. And can I just, before anything else, before we get into any other application, if you are in Christ, you are salt and nothing can take that away. And I hope that that encourages you to walk as salt because nothing can change the fact that you are salt. It can't lose, salt cannot lose its it's identity. It's so unnatural for these people to hear that, that in various levels of growth, they're saying, look, yes, it may be weaker than some, it may be stronger than some, but it is always going to be salt. And so we, we need to understand our identity is in Christ. That's why we said who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ is meant to influence others in the world. Salt cannot lose its identity, but it can lose its intention. 
It cannot lose its identity. It can't be taken away. You can't make salt not salt, but you can dilute or, dist- or, or corrupt or contaminate salt. And then it loses its intention. See, what is the intention of salt? Well, write this down. Salt is only effective when it comes in contact with something else. Salt is, salt is only effective when it comes into contact with something else. And that means when Jesus says, you are salt, he is saying that you have been given everything you need. You are not of this world, but you are sent into this world. So therefore, go and affect someone. Go and step in and be a cause for good. Be a cause. Be useful for this kingdom that you are now part of. Be useful in the work that we are doing. When we walk in the Beatitudes, when we walk in this being a believer of being poor in spirit, being one who mourns, being one who is humble, who is meek, being one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, who shows mercy, who is pure in heart, who is a peacemaker, who is persecuted, then we are starting to become effective as we come in contact with others. You're not going to be persecuted if you never step out and and no one ever sees you. And we're not going to give opportunity to be shown to show mercy unless we step out and interact with people that we need to show mercy to. We're not going to hunger and thirst for righteousness if we just take this mindset that it's just about us and our little Bible study and our own little time there and we're not growing together and hungering and thirsting together and we encourage one another. And we've got to become effective as we, and, and the only way we can do that is to come in contact with something else. It cannot preserve, it cannot add flavor, which was another use of salt at that time, anything by staying in the container. And Jesus says that you're not of this world, but you are sent into the world. And you are sent in such a way that you are to represent salt that touches and and encounters and becomes effective in this world that is broken and hurting. What does salt do when it preserves? It slows the process of decay. What do we do as we are salt in, in this earth or we're salt on this earth? We slow the decay that sin has brought on this world. Do you know anybody in your life today that needs to see a glimpse of hope? That needs to see someone that, is, that says and stands, no matter what the circumstances, there is a joy? Reading book by David Platt, who is president at one point of the IMB, of, our, of the International Mission Board with the Southern Baptist Convention, and it's called Counterculture. If you've not read it, I encourage anyone to pick it up. But he talks about this idea and this understanding that once we come unto the understanding of who we are and what this world is walking in, we can't help but step out and do something. I was reading just the other day on chapter of, of, uh, of uh, slavery and human trafficking and the problem and the rampant, the, the, the destruction and the epidemic it is within our own nation. See, these things are not halfway across the world in third world countries. These things are going on in our own backyard. Do you realize that Interstate 20 is known as the human trafficking superhighway? And it's easy for us to look and say, well, that's just, you know, yeah, I'll I'll do what I can. I'll give to that. Then you know what he started doing? He started making it real and realized that that's someone's daughter. 
that that's someone's son, that that is brokenness and sin that is stepping out and breaking destruction, breaking down and decaying our world. And if Jesus says for us to be the only hope, then how can we not step out and be salt and be light? We preserve. We preserve what is good. We preserve those things that are righteous. I think back of what Paul challenged the church in Philippi and Philippians when he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is good, whatever is worthy of praise, think on these things. Oh, and by the way, practice them too. Don't just sit there and think on them. Be salt, and salt is only effective when it comes in contact with something else. And you are, I am, the salt of the earth. And the same thing with light. He says, you are the light of the world. He says, in the light, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. What is he saying? Light is meant to shine. Light is meant to shine forth. It is given so that it can show and to illuminate and to help us understand and see our surroundings. But light is only effective when it is allowed to shine. It's on the screen, but write that down. Light is only effective, just as salt is only effective when it comes in contact with something else. Light is only effective when it's allowed to shine. Did you know that darkness can never overcome light? You never have a flashlight or a candle or anything and walk into a dark room and all of a sudden that darkness just overpower that light and you can't see anymore. It's absurd to think about it. And when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's saying, look, you have been given everything. You are. Again, there's that phrase. It's not you could be, you would be, or you should be. You are the light of the world. And that light is meant to shine, to overcome darkness. Yes, obstacles, objects can get in the way, but it does not change the fact that light is still light. It may hinder one's view. It is... It may stand and, distra- and distract and distort what we see, but it is not a weakness of the light. It's not the light's fault. And so he says, go and be light as well. Being hidden or covered does not somehow make it not light. Light only makes an impact, though, when it is free to shine. It is only effective when it is allowed to shine. And Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You, know, you got to remember, again, we get so cut up, we're reading some of these things, and we read about them in our day, so that's why we struggle hearing the idea of salt, because we have refrigerators. That's why we struggle even the idea of hearing the idea that we're light, because we have, we have so much access. We have easy access. We went through this week, and we replaced, uh, we, had, we had seven of these can lights out. We went in, me and Jack went up there, got a lift, and we changed out those lights, and all of a sudden now I am blinded, and I can see half of you out there, because half the light was gone there. It was one of those things where I told them we were having to put them on full blast and this stage still had some shadows on that. We don't have that problem anymore. Like we, you, I told them don't put them at full blast anymore because it is so bright. But can I say that's how we're meant to shine? There's no dimmer off and on. Say, well, I want to shine just a little bit. Jesus says you are the light of the world. We need to go and we need to shine our light. 
Look at verse uh, look at verse number 14. It says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all the house. And saying we're kind of disconnected from this because we just come in and we flip on a switch. But many times, many houses in Jesus' day, as he's speaking, that they had, they had one, one candle. And it wasn't very bright. And so what would they do? They'd make sure to get the most effect out of that light. They would take it and, and set a stand up in their living room, possibly even in the middle of the room, and set that light right there in the center so that it could now shine and have the fullest effect to go on that, right? Where do we put our lights in our, in our houses? We don't put them like up in the corner, right? We don't set them off to the side over here. We put them right in the middle where it has the opportunity to illuminate the most possible space in our homes. And Jesus says, will you position yourself in such a way that you have the most opportunity to shine a light for Jesus Christ? Now, that may, that's going to look different for each of us. Understand that. Every, every, every home, every house is different in the understanding with this idea that we are living and where we interact and who we come in contact with are the houses that we're shining in. Some of us have a great opportunity to shine in large portions of places. Some of us may just honestly light up one little area. Can I just tell you, light is still light. No matter how bright or how dim it shines, it, you are not judged by the amount of that. You shine what Jesus has given you and walk in that. So we're called to shine our light. We're called to be salt, to come in contact. We have been given great influence who we are in Christ as salt and light is meant to influence others for the world so what does that mean for us verse 16 in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father now first we need here Jesus kind of is is taking the illustrations and tying it in when he says in the same way what is he saying well first off let's take both understandings of salt of the earth and light of the world and see that he is telling us that we have this opportunity it's no longer about the actual block of salt it's no longer about the actual lamp in the house He's saying in the same way how you live your life has the opportunity to influence for good or for bad the kingdom of God. So he says in the same way let it shine before others. You see, go back to salt. Salt is meant to come in contact with something else to be effective. What that means for us as Christians is this. We, for Christians to live as salt of the earth, we must come in contact with our culture. In the same way, as salt is meant to fulfill its purpose by coming in contact and preserving for good and slowing the process of decay, Christians are called to live in such a way that we come in contact with our culture and we slow the decay of sin and brokenness that's in this world. But that should be the heartbeat of every church. Instead, we get tied up, we get... We get debating, we get struggling back and forth, and we are walking in odds with one another when God says, go and be light, and go and be salt on this earth. 
What would it take for us as Christians to come in contact? What would it look like for us to come in contact with our culture and affect it for the good? By preserving the gospel. How do we do this? How do we affect it for the good? Well, first off, we understand who we are in Christ and we invite others to become that as well. We do that through the gospel. We do that by proclaiming who Jesus is, by declaring Jesus is Lord. Jesus has done this good work in my life. Jesus has done this good work. It wasn't anything I did. I was broken. I was, I was messed up. I was over here struggling. Jesus came to me, grabbed me, gave me life, and brought me into his family. Now, can I just say he wants you to come to Come in contact with others and affect it for the good. Paul encourages the church in Corinth by saying this, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14 through 16, it says, But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through, and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Go back to verse 14 because we got to see this. He says, thanks be to God who always leads us. God is the one working and leading us in what? In Christ's triumphal procession. Now, if you're going to go be salt, we don't go and proclaim salt that we created. We don't go and proclaim anything else except the fact that God has made us salt. Go, he says, who leads us in Christ's triumphal procession and through us. There it is. It's, there's a responsibility here. Through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Catch that. We're not just called to be amongst the saved. We're not just called to be amongst other believers. We're called to be amongst every place, anywhere we come in contact with. He says we are to be the fragrance of Christ. To some, we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others, an aroma of life leading to life. We must step out with hope and with the goodness of the gospel. And we cannot do that. We cannot do that without a without first allowing Jesus to step into all of our lives. You see, I said, said it earlier and started, and I go back to it. Salt is salt no matter what. Light is light no matter what. But things can dilute salt. Things can corrupt salt. Things can contaminate salt. doesn't change the salt, but it does change its effectiveness. Light is light no matter how bright or no matter what we do to either help it shine or try to hinder it from shining. It's going to shine no matter what. How far we allow it to shine through our lives is up to us. If there's areas in our lives that don't line up with the Beatitudes, that don't line up with who we are in Christ, guess what? We could be the hindering of the gospel. Yet sin in our lives, guess what? That is a hindrance to the gospel. There's areas in our lives that we're holding on to pride and arrogance that is a hindrance to the gospel. If there's anything in our hearts that would cause that no, even if no one else knows about it, it breaks the heart of God and it's a hindrance to the gospel. Just because someone doesn't know about our sin, just because someone doesn't know what we're walking through does not change the fact that God knows. And God says, no. That's not who you are. 
So can I challenge you today and say, first and foremost, you are salt. So allow Jesus to, to, to make you into the purest and finest salt he could ever use. You are light and allow Jesus to shine as bright as possible in every area, in every room that you go into. But in order for us to do that, we have, we have to get out of the way. We have to step aside. Why? Because it's not our kingdom. It's not about us. It's not, it's not for who we are. If light is meant to shine, it reveals and illuminates. We need to see that it's not our light that we're shining. It's His light that we reflect. All we're doing is reflecting the true light. The candle does not claim ownership or origination of the flame. So should we neither claim ownership nor origination of the light within us, glorifying the Father, ignited by the Spirit inside because of the good work of the Son. Christians are sent to shine a light that points others to Jesus. Christians are sent to go and to encounter your culture for good. And we're sent to shine a light that points others to Jesus. John MacArthur says, to see good works by us is to see Christ in us. Who do people see in us? Who do people see in you? Do others see Jesus? Do we shine and do we show in such a way that people are challenged, that people are encouraged, who our lives reflect a life that others would say there's something different about that. I want to be part of that. So what do we do? Well, again, if there's what are, what's hindering, what's keeping you? Is there anything contaminating the salt that is in you? Is there anything hindering and guarding the light? There's, if there is, repent of that today. Ask Jesus to forgive you. Let him make that known. Acknowledge that before him. Acknowledge that before others. Even as believers, understand we don't just confess our sin one time and we're done. We still walk and we still fall, and so we need to come back. And there's sometimes it's day after day. It may be hour after hour that we have to come and say, God, I'm here again. I'm sorry. But I need you. Restore my soul. Restore my light. I'm laying down this distraction. For some of us, that means coming into that understanding of a relationship with him and becoming salt today. You are salt by what Jesus has done, not by anything you can do. And if you're trying to do it on your own, you will fail in the end. But the hope of the gospel is this, that Jesus loved you enough to come and take your place so that your good works wouldn't do it, but his would. And he says, trust in him today. Confess your sin. Believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and surrender your life to him. What do we need to do as a church? Well, he's called us to be, it's not just, we don't just put one grain of salt. They didn't just put one little pinch. You wouldn't just have one candle in an entire city. We are collectively the salt of the earth. We are collectively the light of the world. Can we shine and preserve together? What does that mean? Well, maybe that means you respond in our time of response in just a second. Maybe that means you finding someone and committing and covenanting together and say, I'm going to shine my light in my work. Will you hold me accountable to that? 
Maybe that means you going and confessing to another brother or sister and saying, hey, I'm struggling, in, I'm struggling in this. I've let this sin contaminate my salt. I've let this sin block my light, and I need to confess that before God. I need to confess that before others. Is there, there's grace at the cross. Go together with someone. Whatever that means. Our elders will be up front again to pray. As our band comes, I want to just pray for us. And I invite you to respond however However you feel led, the truth is truth, whether we accept it or respond to it or not. But Jesus has shown grace and is calling us to to walk with him. Who we are in Christ has the opportunity to influence others in the world. Who we are in Christ is meant to influence others. Are Are you influencing? Are you shining your light? Are you seasoning the salt? Right now, I invite you to just bow your heads, close your eyes again, just primarily remove distractions, whatever that may be. God, again, have your way, Lord, in our hearts. Reveal to us our need. If there's a sin to be confessed, if there is a burden within us to step into, whether it's, again, to turn from something that's hindering us from influencing or to, if, whether it's a burden for us to, te- to step out and have greater influence. God, I pray that we would walk in obedience. Why? Because you've given us everything we need already. We're not doing this so that we could become salt or that we could become light. We're doing this, we confess this, and we come collectively as a church and say and declare that we want to be salt in our community. We want to shine light in the darkness. So God, give us a burden. Give us a desire to come alongside each other and walk for the good of the gospel. anything, I want to take just a second with your head bowed, and again, eyes closed, no looking around, don't always do this, but it is more of the Spirit leading on that. If there is, if God is showing you, if God is revealing something in your life that may be hindering you from being salt, may be hindering you from being the fullest light and the most effective light, and God is pointing that out to you right now. Again, understand, it could be a sin that everyone knows about. It could be a sin that no one knows about. God still desires obedience and a death to sin. So if there's there's anything in your life, if you're struggling with that, I want to pray for you. That's all I want to do. I'm not going to come up, find you afterward, anything, really on it, try to figure out. If you want to talk, we're here and available, but there's anything that we that I could be praying for you would you just raise your hand right where you're at if you have sin in your life or an area or maybe maybe understand there's sins of of commission where we go and do blatantly disobey God by doing something but there's also sins of omission where we don't follow through what God has told us to do maybe God has been telling you to walk to step out if that's you if you if God is laying a burden on your heart to step out and be salt and light in a greater way would you raise your hand just so again so we can
pray for you. Every one of us are called to step out and have greater influence. My prayer and desire is that we would all walk in that. We'll pray and then we're going to sing this declaration, simple chorus. Yes, I will lift you high. I will bless your name. But it doesn't matter if we say it here and don't go and do it there. Father, I pray that your grace would be sufficient, that we know and trust that it already is. God, you've given us everything we need to walk this life, to be salt, to shine as light, God. If there's anything in our life, search our hearts, search our minds, search our words and our actions, God. If there's anything hindering that effectiveness, anything that is keeping that influence at bay, God, may we cut that out. May we cast that away and may we repent of that and run to you, trusting in who you are, trusting in the work that you have done. God, for anyone in this room that is trying to do it on their own, trying to do it by themselves, think, well, if I just live a better life, if I just know that's not what it's about. The truth of the gospel is that we could not do it came and did it for us. And now we have everything if we confess and trust in you. So God, anyone in here that has not has not repented of their sins and come into a relationship with you, may today be the day of salvation. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name.